Well, good morning. It seems like everywhere we go today, people are wearing masks, right? Um, just look at a couple of these here. There are the lettuce mask. Don't get that one at all. There's the disco ball mask. I guess they're out um, socializing, partying in their own house. There's the antivirus mask. There's the bottle head mask. There's the um, I ate the dog's food mask, and now I have to wear this halo collar. And I thought this meme was pretty good. It says, never in my wildest dreams did I imagine I'd go up to a bank teller with a mask on asking for money. You know, that, I came across that about a week or so ago, and I thought that was a pretty good mask. You know, when it comes to masks, this next one is the one that worries me the most. Because if you think about it, everywhere we go, people are wearing masks, aren't they? And the thing that worries me the most about that is people are hiding their emotions behind those masks. Behind those masks, we know that there are people that are hurting. There are people in great pain. There are people that are worrying, that are fearful, that are very anxious right now. In Basel, Switzerland, each year, and the, the townspeople have a festival in which they all wear masks and they go throughout the city doing things and going places that they would never dream of doing without a mask on. In fact, um, during this time, the, the moral um, the fabric of that community falls rapidly. And so several years ago, the Salvation Army went throughout town, placing up signs everywhere. And on that sign, they wrote these words, God sees behind the mask. You may be hiding even in the comfort of your own home this morning, hiding certain emotions or hurts and pains from your family, from your parents, and from your children. I thought it was always interesting um, following the passing of Robin Williams. Um, there was a quote about his life that said that he could make everybody laugh except for himself. Now there's a lot of people that are real good at faking their emotions, but if you really begin to peel back the layers, there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain that people are experiencing right now. You may be one of those this morning. If, if, if there is something going on in your life and you need help, please do not hesitate to reach out to me, to reach out to the church, to reach out to a fellow believer, to reach out to a friend, um, because we want to be here to help you. Because I know there's a lot of things going on in our world today, a lot of uncertainty in our world today. And, and know this, we're not the only um, generation of people that have ever gone through trying times, ever gone through situations like we find ourselves in. We've been walking through the book of, of James together now for a number of weeks, and our theme has been a faith that works. And, and James wrote to a group of believers that were going through great hardships. And so this morning, what James is going to do is he's going to encourage those believers and subsequently us. So let's go to God's word this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 7 through 11 together. So James chapter 5, beginning of verse 7, we read these words. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See 
how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Our message point this morning is this, real faith produces patience. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you Father, this morning, just thanking you for the opportunity, Lord, to gather together again, to study your word, Father, to walk through the book of James together, Lord. I know that we only have just a couple of more messages left in this great book, but Father, I pray that you will, even now, Father, um, prepare our heart for this message and the messages that are to come, Father. And Lord, I pray for those that that are watching um, our services this morning. Lord, I know, Father, that there are many people that are hurt. There are many people that are anxious right now. And Father, I pray that they will just call out to you, Lord, and that they will call out to you to comfort them and to ease their anxiety, to ease their fearfulness. And Father, we know that you're in complete and absolute control. And so Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will, Father, do this morning what only you can do, Father, and that is to ease that anxiousness that we're going through. Father, I pray that if there's someone that is watching this service this morning that does not have a relationship with you, that today you will draw them unto salvation. Today will be the day that they cry out to you to be Lord and Savior of their lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you and I ask that you speak to us now. First in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just thanking you for this morning, thanking you for the opportunity, Lord Jesus, just to come together, even if it's um, once again in this unconventional way, Lord. Father, I pray that as we walk through this message together, Lord, I pray, Father, just for technology, Lord, um, that our technology will work. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, just for um, those that are on the other end of this, um, this, this video this morning, Lord, that you'll prepare their hearts, that you'll speak to them, that you'll reveal to them your truth, Father. Lord, we pray that as we walk through this book of James together, Lord, that you'll just continue to mold us and shape us into the men, women, students, and children that you created us to be, Father. Lord, we're just so grateful for the opportunity to worship together, Lord. I know that once again, this is unconventional, Lord, but even the way we're worshiping together this morning, we have so many more freedoms than so many people around the world does. Lord, we just pray again for this morning. If there's someone this morning that does not have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that today you will draw them unto salvation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. Well, our message point this morning is this. Real faith produces patience. I already said that, but we're going to hit it again. Real faith produces patience. Notice our first point. It is this. Practice patience. Patience. In verse 7, we read, Be patient, therefore, brothers. How many of you have a hard time with patience? You know, I bet if I asked you to raise your hands, hands all over um, the, the, the viewing audience would have those hands sky high. You know, I'm the worst when it comes to patience. Just ask my wife, ask my 
kids and they will attest to that. You know, I recently read that up to one third of our day is spent waiting. Think about the things that we wait for on a daily basis. We wait for, sometimes it seems like hours at a doctor's appointment. We wait at red lights. We wait for our food to be delivered at a restaurant or during these days through the drive-throughs that we might be going through. We wait for um, what, what seems like years out of our life at the DMV trying to get a new license or a license renewed or something. Our seniors are waiting to, to hear whether or not they're even going to be able to graduate this year. I know that I have a senior and so there's a lot of anxiousness around our house trying to figure out um, whether they're going to be able to walk across the stage and get a physical diploma placed in their hand. I know that many of you have seniors as well and you're kind of finding yourselves in a waiting mode as well. We wait for our test scores to come back. We wait for our prayers to be answered. Today we spend our time waiting on the country to open back up or for there to be a cure for the coronavirus or maybe for life to get back to normal, which I pray it never gets back to the kind of normal that it was. I pray that there's a new normal for us as believers. We also um, are waiting on the church to open back up for us to be able to come back to gather safely with one another so that we can um, worship again as a faith family. You know, these first century believers were forced to wait as well. They had to wait for their lives to get back to some sort of normal. I've shared this with you over the past few weeks, but just as a reminder, remember the men and women James wrote to were individuals that once had been a part of his church in Jerusalem. But because of persecution, they had to flee Jerusalem and they were forced to scatter throughout the known world. Many of these early believers died for their faith. They were persecuted for their faith. They were imprisoned for their faith. They were forced even to renounce their faith. They were left homeless, jobless, impoverished. And as we looked at last week, many of them were cheated by wealthy landowners and they were being ripped off by them. So their morale went from when they were in Jerusalem to up here to now as they're scattered throughout the known world to all the way down here. I mean, it is rock bottom right now. And so James is writing to these believers. It was not an easy time to be a believer. In the midst of their heartache, James is not telling them to wait for the persecution to stop, to wait for the hardships to be over, to wait for the government to show up to give them an economic bailout. They were not waiting for, um, he was not telling them to wait for your lives to get to uh, normal again like they were in Jerusalem. No, he is telling them to be patient until the Lord comes. Okay, that's our next subpoint. Be patient until the Lord comes. In verse 7 again, we read, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Think about that for a second. Just like we do not know when the Lord is going to return, the first century believers, they did not know either. And James is reminding them, and subsequently us, to live our lives as if his return were imminent, like it was just 
around the corner or like it is just around the corner. We should live our lives in anticipation of that day. Think about some of the life events that you've experienced where you have greatly anticipated certain things. Maybe it was going to school. Maybe it was a milestone birthday that you anticipated or getting your driver's license. Maybe it was graduating from college or from high school or getting that first job or that dream job. Some of us were greatly anticipating getting married and starting a family or becoming grandparents, or um, some of you are in a place now where you are greatly anticipating that day that you can retire from your current job and begin that next phase of life and ministry that the Lord is going to call you to. All of these are tremendous milestones. Each one, though, required or requires a sense of patient anticipation. You know, I'll never forget when Danny shared with me that she was pregnant with Connor. That was one of the um, happiest days of my life um, to know that I was going to become a father and that Danny was going to become a, a mother. The emotions were just, um, uh, just sky high that we were experienced. The next seven or eight months were full of patient anticipation. As we um, prepared, we had to get rooms ready. We had to purchase clothes and strollers and furniture, all kinds of things. And transitioning from um, Connor to Caitlin required us to make other kind of, of adjustments. But we waited with patient anticipation until that day that we were able to hold them in our arms. We lived in glorious anticipation of their arrival. That is how we should live our lives in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to return turn. Make no mistake about it. When? No one knows. But what we do know is that his return is sooner today than it has ever been. Signs are all around us. Biblical signs are being fulfilled left and right. The moral decay of our society and our world's society is, is almost at an all-time low. Sickness and pandemics are streaking, sweeping throughout our land like the coronavirus. There are the rise and fall of world leaders. Natural disasters are occurring at unprecedented rates. The gospel is going forth to every corner of the world. Wake up, church. Jesus is coming. When? Once again, we do not know. It could be in our lifetime, but it may not be. Regardless, though, we should be living for that moment that Jesus Christ is going to return. He's either going to return during our lifetime or he's going to call us home, right? Regardless, we need to be living and preparing for that moment that we are able to see Jesus face to face. James goes on and illustrates what patience looks like. He calls us to patiently wait. In the latter part of verse 7 we read, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth 
being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You know, in Israel, there are two different raining season, seasons. There's the early rains, which occur between October and November, and then there are the late rains, which come in the spring between April and May. Those early rains help to loosen up the soil and helps prepare the farmer prepare the land for the planting of the seed and for those seeds to begin to germinate and grow. Those latter rains come just in time for that, that plant to reach maturity before the harvest. Here is a picture here. The farmer plants the seed. Okay, he doesn't go out on day one to reap a harvest, does he? No, he has to patiently wait for the rains and he has to patiently wait for that crop to mature. The same happens in our lives, okay? You know, we have to patiently wait for certain things to happen. Yes, we find ourselves right now in some hardships. Okay? We can sit on our hands and sit idle and let time pass, or we can patiently wait and prepare for that moment that we're going to be able to go out and do life like we used to do life again. You know, um, my daughter, Caitlin, um, during these days of isolation, has decided that she wanted to become a little farmer herself. And so she has planted herself a garden. She has planted some okra, some zucchini, some tomatoes, some red peppers, and some strawberries. Okay, so... Um, Caitlin, man, she's been doing a great job of looking out over her crop. Now, one thing that, that she did do is she cheated a little bit. She went to the store and she bought some plants that had already germinated and they had already begun to grow. She got a little bit of a head start, but here's what she does every single day. She goes out and she looks out over her crop. If there's some weeds in there, she's going to pull those. If there's, um, you know, a dead leaf, she's going to trim that, but she's watching over her plants and she's watering them. But here's what she's doing more than anything. She is patiently anticipating the harvest, isn't she? That's how we should live our lives in anticipation of Jesus Christ's return. We should patiently anticipate it and live as if the moment is right around the corner. And, and the next thing that we see here is we need to be patient towards one another. In verses 8 and 9 we read, You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brother, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James tells us right here to establish our hearts. Other translations say strengthen your hearts. What does that mean? Well, an established heart is a heart that is rooted in Christ, a heart that is preparing and prepared for what is coming next. You know, biblical people lived in patient anticipation of certain events, didn't they? They lived in patient anticipation of the arrival of the Messiah, but they also lived in patient anticipation of the fulfillment of God's word within their own lives. Think about Noah. Okay. Noah received a word from the Lord. Lord told him to build an ark, right? And that ark, um, you know, I went to Kentucky with, with many from our faith family here recently, and, and we were able to gaze upon that life-size ark. That thing is 
450 feet long. It's three stories high. It's 75 feet wide. For Noah, it took him about 70 years to construct the ark. Why did he build the ark? Because he was anticipating the promised rains, the rains that God the Father told him were coming. He, during these days, he strengthened his heart and he prepared for that promised day. Well, the rains did come, and because of Noah's faith and obedience, he and his family experienced God's grace, and they were sheltered from that storm within that ark, right? And think about some um, um, other people that patiently anticipated the arrival of the Messiah. Think about the early believers. After Jesus ascended to take his rightful place, or right before he ascended to take his rightful place next to the Father, what did Jesus tell his disciples? That the Holy Spirit was going to come, right? And so where do we find these early believers before the Holy Spirit came? There's about 120 of them, and they were gathered together in the upper room where they would spend day and night praying with one another, praying in anticipation of the coming of the Holy Spirit. You know what they were praying for? They were praying for revival, weren't they? They were praying for that day that God the Father was going to dwell within them and give them the power that they needed to go into all the land to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, the Holy Spirit did come. And when that spirit came, those men and women left that upper room. They hit the streets. They began to proclaim the good news of salvation. And on day one, some 3,000 people came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In, fa in, in fact, in Acts 2.41, we read these words. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Guess what, folks? There is coming a day. And that day is soon when everyone will get to hit the streets again. My prayer for all of us is that because we have spent much time with the Lord, His Spirit is going to illuminate through us like never before. And we're going to see countless people place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So until that moment comes, let us patiently anticipate that day. Let us use these days to establish our hearts, to strengthen our hearts, to get firmly rooted in Christ and, and, and bear fruit for Christ. And as we wait, this is important, let us be patient towards one another. In verse 9, we read these words. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Here's what we know. Times of hardship can cause us to react in less than loving ways, correct? Ray Pritchard puts it this way. When you are tired, when you are scared, when you are angry, watch your mouth. When you feel backed into a corner, when life tumbles in around you, when you are betrayed, attacked, harassed, lied to, or lied about, when your world turns upside down, watch your mouth. 
When you are forced to do life in close proximity of one another for weeks at a time, when you have lost your job and want to take out your frustration on your family, when your kids are bouncing off the wall because they are tired of not being able to socialize with their friends, watch your mouth. You know, I think we would all agree that we are living in a day when our world has literally turned upside down, right? In this flip of the world, I believe that much good is happening. And I also am afraid that there is also much bad that is happening as well behind closed doors. As believers, okay, you and I need to turn the world upside down for Jesus, don't we? You know, I love the story um, that, that is shared in Acts. Of, of a time in which these early believers were experiencing persecution. And they were going from city to city proclaiming the good news of salvation. And what these people were doing is these early believers were literally turning the world upside down for Christ. They were literally causing um, the moral fabric within these cities to go from bad to good, um, the, the framework of their governments to go from bad to good. That's what Jesus does when he gets inside of us and gets outside of us. He changes people's lives. He changes communities and governments and world orders. In Acts 17, 6, we read these words, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now, I love that. Let us, in cooperation with one another, go into this broken world, pointing people to the ultimate fixer-upper, Jesus Christ. And let's pray that they will get their lives right with God the Father and they will experience salvation during these topsy-turvy days. Notice also, we see that um, our second point is there is a model for patience. In James 5, 10 through 11, we read these words. As an example of suffering, and patience. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You know, I love James. You know, James, what he does here is he reaches back into the Old Testament scriptures and he reminds his readers and subsequently us that we are not the only one in histories past that have experienced some sort of suffering. He calls us to zero in on specific heroes of the faith and consider what they went through. You know, reading these words reminds me of Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, we come to what we call the Hall of Faith chapter. Okay, this is a chapter that lists biblical hero after biblical hero after biblical hero for their faithfulness. And within the first 31 verses of chapter 11, we see the writer single out these great faith champions. He talks about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph and Moses. And then he comes to Rahab. Every single one of these hero stories has a happy ending, right? 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 It continues in verse 32. 
with these words. And what more shall I say? You know, it's almost like, like um, the writer has just been writing so quickly and so fast that he comes to verse 32 and he puts down his pen and he kind of has to shake his hand because he just, he's gotten on such a roll speaking about all these great men and women of faith and history's past and all the great things that they did. And then he just has to take a moment and rest and put down his pen. And then we come to these words. He's like, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. If we were to stop there, we would think that the writer of Hebrews only showcased the happily ever after stories of the faithful, right? But that isn't where he stops. Man, there are some happily ever after stories in God's Word, but there's also great stories of men that persevered up until, and women, up until their final breath on this side of eternity. In verses 35 through 37, we, we read, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Not every prophet or person of faith was saved from suffering, were they? James specifically goes on next, and he speaks of Job in our passage this morning. Job is kind of the go-to guy people like to refer to when they speak about suffering, right? People are like, you think you have it bad? Let me share with you someone that had it so much worse than you could ever have. And they open up God's Word to Job, and they begin to talk about Job, don't they? That is kind of what James is doing here. He's calling these early believers to have patience like Job. One commentator reminds us to remember that it took 42 chapters for the purpose of suffering in Job's life to be revealed. Remember all the suffering Job experienced. He lost his children. He lost his livestock. He received terrible sores all over his body. His wife tells him to curse God and die. If you ever find a woman that tells you that, leave her on the, at the altar, okay? But that's what Job's wife did. Job had three friends that surrounded him, okay, coming around to encourage him. But what they ended up doing is they gave him bad advice, didn't they? Job literally lost everything. He would experience excruciating pain and suffering. Yet through it all, he remained faithful, didn't he? In Job 42, verses 5 through 6, we read these words. I heard of you, Job says, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. It took 42 chapters 
for Job to understand and for us to understand the purpose of Job's suffering. Here's what we know. He never once cursed God. And in the end, God would bless him exponentially. In verse 11b of James chapter 5, we read, Job says, you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You know, we may not always understand what God's purpose is for our suffering, but we can be certain that in the end, it will absolutely be revealed. So if you are going through suffering and hardship today, let me encourage you to remain faithful and to patiently anticipate the day the Lord is going to return, the day the Lord is going to also reveal to you why it is that you are going through that suffering. Until then, keep fighting, keep praying, keep studying, keep enduring, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because he is indeed absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, going to come back again. This morning, you may be patiently awaiting the arrival of Jesus in your own life. Your heart's cry may be, where are you, God? Let me be very, very clear with all of us this morning. God is all around you. He is all around us. Scripture says that we can see God's handiwork everywhere around us. The question that I have for you this morning is, is God in you? Have you placed your faith and trust in him? Have you received Jesus Christ into your life and claimed and proclaimed that he is the Lord and Savior of your life? If you have not done that, if you have not repented of your sins, if you have not cried out to Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, why not? What is keeping you from doing that this morning? Well, let me share with you this morning, this, okay? You may be watching this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you don't know how to place your faith and trust in Jesus. Well, let me tell you this. The first thing that you need to do is you need to recognize that you are a sinner. Okay? and that your sin separates you from God the Father. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person that's ever walked the face of this earth has sinned. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we all have sinned. There's only been one person that has ever walked this earth that has never committed a sin, and that was Jesus Christ. And Jesus, God's Son, went to the cross, and he died on that cross for your sin. He shed his blood, and that blood provides a covering for you and a covering for your sins. In order to experience that covering, you must ask Jesus into your heart. Okay, the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that because of our sin, the, the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is eternal separation from God the Father. Okay, but then it goes on to say that the free gift, okay, notice that, but the free gift, it's not something that you have to work for. It's not something that you earn. It's absolutely free. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is a free gift. Salvation is free and available to all. All we have to do is accept it. In Romans 5, 8, it says, God demonstrated his love to us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ came and he died on the cross for our sins, didn't he? In Romans 10, 9, we read that if we confess with our mouth, this is, but if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You realize that this morning, that if you repent of your sins and if you will cry out to Jesus to be Lord 
and Savior of your life, the Bible says that you will be saved. God will no longer be all around you, but God will be inside of you. And we have this promise in Romans 10, 13, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you can ever make, and that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, okay? And receive him into your life. Let's pray together this morning. As you're on the other side of this video this morning, you may not have a relationship with Jesus. And I want to share with you this morning, via this prayer, how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus. You would just simply pray this prayer. You can pray this prayer after me and just admit that you're a sinner and say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask you today to forgive me for my sins. And as you ask God to forgive you of your sins, you can, that can be a blanket statement, or if you know specific sins, you can indicate those as well. It doesn't matter how big they are, how small they are, Jesus is going to forgive you of all of those. So ask God to forgive you of your sins. And then, with your mouth, also proclaim and recognize that Jesus indeed is the Savior and Lord of your life. And say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. And if you do that this morning, the Bible is clear that you will be saved. Father God, I pray now, Lord Jesus, for those on the other side of this video. Lord Jesus, if there is someone that has prayed that prayer or someone that needs to pray that prayer and, and, and repent of their sins and surrender their lives over to you, I pray that they will do that right now. I pray that they will just be drawn unto you for salvation. Father, I know, Lord Jesus, that in the midst of the days that we live in today, there's many that are experiencing heartache. There's many that are experiencing pain. There are many that are, are suffering greatly right now, financially, physically, spiritually. Um, and so, Father, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you will, Lord, just come upon them, Lord. Help them be rid of that anxiousness that they are experiencing right now. And Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that they will just release everything over to you and allow you to just embrace them in your loving arms. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will just be with us as we go throughout um, even this day, Lord, as we're able to serve you and glorify you and magnify you in all that we do. Lord, we love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to I leave you with this. Our, our takeaway for the, this morning is this. Keep patiently anticipating Jesus' arrival. Because Jesus is going to come back, isn't he? He's going to come back during our lifetime. Or, or what, uh, something just as glorious is when we close our eyes on this side of eternity, we're going to awaken in his very presence, right? In Romans 8, 28, we read these words. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you know Jesus this morning? If not, I challenge you again to place your faith and trust in him. If you're going through struggles this morning, just know that God, right here we have this promise that God is going to work all things out for his good in our lives. Know that, okay?